Masechet Yevamot Af Ayin Chet. We are first going to start today with analyzing the Pasuk regarding Egyptian converts and analyze each and every word to see what it teaches us. And then we're going to get three different versions of a statement by Irebi Yochanan regarding do we follow patrilineal or matrilineal descent when it comes to uh, converts of the first, second, third generation of Egyptians, or do we follow whoever is more blemished? And uh, that will take us up to the next Mishnah on Amud Bet. So we begin, we were talking about the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who makes that Kavachomer in the Mishnah, and he says uh, regarding uh, Egyptians, uh, the, their women are permitted immediately. A woman, an Egyptian woman who converts, is permitted immediately, like an Ammoni and Ammoni Velo Ammonit. Uh, however, the sons are for three generations, and uh, the Buda disagreed and said, no, males and females are only permitted af- uh, after two generations. Only the third generation is permitted, applies to both, uh, applies to females also. Okay, so now we have a derasha tenura banan. Uh, we know we start here, Tanya. Amar lehen Rabbi Shimon, halacha ani omed. In the Mishnah, they asked him, do you have a, you have, you have a kavachomed, but we can refute that kavachomed. Is it only kavachomed, or do you have a tradition? He says, I have a tradition. And now in addition, in this b'rayta, ve'od mikram esayayani, I can also derive it not only from a logical kavachomed, but also from a, uh, a word uh, that helps me out. It says, Banim velo banot, the full two pisukim are, lo domi, ki achi chaholote misri, ki baso. That's just don't hate them. Next pasuk says, Banim asheri vadu lahem dor shilishi, yavo lahem bikal Hashem. So it's misvat aseh that, yes, you can marry them at third, th- uh, three generations or later. Now notice it says, Banim. Specifically, uh, we could just say, I don't know, Mitzri, uh, anyone, Shari Vadu Lahem. So it says Banim, with masculine and not feminine. So that means that only the males are prohibited. Uh, female converts are permitted, even at the first generation. That would be Shimon. Good. Tenora Banan, Banim Vilobanot, Dibreda Bishimon. Another Braita says the same thing. Amar Biuda, Hareu, Amar Banim, Shari Vadu Lahem, Dor Shirishi. Disagrees and he says, No, you don't focus on the word banim, focus on the word yivaledu, that they will be born. And so, all boys and girls are both born. So, anyone who was born, yeah, is no good until the third generation. Uh, good. So, that's the Biuda, and that's how he reads the Pasuk a bit differently from Rabbi Shimon and comes to an opposite conclusion. Now, uh, reflecting on this, uh, this baraita, Amar Yochanan, Ilav Damar Biyudah Katub Telan Beleda, Lomasaya David Aglav Bebetamidrash. He makes an interesting point that it's a good thing that Biyudah uh, said, made this Tadasha, and said it depends on whoever, on being born, and boys and girls are both born, and therefore uh, both are um, uh, prohibited um, because. If he didn't say, if he didn't say that, uh, and he said only girls, um, only boys are prohibited, girls are permitted, like Rabbi Shimon, he would have had a big problem, wouldn't be able to stand in the Bet Midrash, because we would have caught him in a uh, self-contradiction. What's the contradiction? Here's something else he said. Rabbi Yudah himself said, in a, 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 a similar, in another context, Regarding what is considered a kahal, you have different people like a mamzer who cannot marry a uh, pesuadaka, cannot marry into kahal. 
who is kahal? Does that include converts or not? Uh, so most people say that converts are not included in kahal. Kahal means Jewish born and uh, uh, um, and not and not not converts. And therefore, mamzer pesuadaka cannot marry. Uh, can marry a convert because they are not kahal. So um, this is in a way kind of lowering the status of a convert. They're not really part of the congregation. On the other hand, it does allow um, more marriages to happen between these different groups. But Abiyuda is the one that disagrees and he says, Gerim are called kahal. Once they convert, they're fully Jewish part of the regular congregation, which is a nice status for them. But it also means that they cannot marry Mamzer, Pesuadaka, and other similar people. Okay, so if you combine these two things, that is, if Rabbi Yehuda had agreed with Rabbi Shimon that a female convert, Egyptian convert is permitted even in that first generation, uh, then they are considered kahal already in that first generation, because that's it, permitted right away. And now, as a member of kahal, that first generation Egyptian convert would not be able to marry a first or second generation Egyptian male convert because they are prohibited for two generations. So therefore, how can a male Egyptian convert in the second generation, who can they marry? They can't marry a Jew because they can't marry Kahal. They can't marry an Egyptian woman because Egyptian women are totally permitted, are part of Kahal from the first generation. So there's no one that they could marry, and they'll never, never be able to produce a third generation. You shouldn't even note that maybe they could marry a mamzeret after ten generations, or there are some other ways, but not, no, not, not really a simple way. So the Gemara says, well, uh, I know, Dilma de'i abad v'nasib. Oh, maybe you're right, there's no permitted way for an Egyptian to produce a third generation, but maybe the E, if he violated and the second generation male convert married a regular Jewish woman or a convert Jewish woman, it doesn't matter, those are prohibited. But if they do, then the next the child, the next child that they have after that, uh, the next generation will be permitted. And maybe that's what the Torah is saying. But that is not comfortable. The Torah would not give you a loophole that you have to do a, a prohibited action in order to get a positive result. It's not going to tell you a situation that you have to violate a law in order and then, oh, then there, then, it, then it's okay. All right, Torah is not going to give you scenarios where you have to violate the law to get there. All right, now we're going to um, give, bring a couple of possible counterexamples. Harem Amzer. Uh, Wait a second, there are some times when the Torah does talk about a case where there is a violation. For example, how is a mamzer produced? A violation. Uh, a, a man and a woman committed adultery. And so she had a child with adultery. That child is a mamzer. And yet the Torah talks about that case. So, there, so sometimes the Torah talks about a case of if someone does something prohibited. 
No, that's different. Over there, it wants to tell you that if someone violates, then there's a negative consequence and the child will be prohibited. You need to know the prohibition. But it's not going to tell you uh, how, what a, a permission, an allowance that happens because of a prohibition. Right? It's not, I'm going to encourage bad behavior here. It will discourage bad behavior. So that's why, yeah, it makes sense. To, I have to tell you, Mamzed. But it wouldn't tell you that, oh yeah, if you violate, this bidiavad, then the third generation, and that's the only way to get a third generation per- permitted uh, Egyptian. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, so what kind of law is that? That you can only permit the future generations if you violate. No, Torah's not going to have an, exa- an example like that. Well, wait a second, we do have an example, another one. Regarding someone who has a, returns his divorcee. They're married, and then they go and marry someone else, and then um, she marries someone else, divorces the second guy, and comes back to her first husband. They're not allowed to, to. They're not allowed to get married. If they do, the marriage is valid, and if they have a child, that child is not considered a mamzer. It's only a result of a love, according to most opinions, not considered a mamzer. And we learned it. From uh, the fact that it says toeva he, meaning she is a toeva, but the child is not a toeva. And so there it's telling you, look, see, even if you violate, if you violate this law, uh, then don't worry, the child will be okay. That's what I was giving you a case of if you do something bad, nevertheless, something good, something, a, a um, valid outcome co- uh, comes about. So this is a, uh, against the principle you said that Torah does not give the e cases of hetera. No, No, there the Torah had to give you the basic prohibition. So it tells you, this is a toivah. She is not allowed to do this. Um, and now from the word this, we make a derivation. I mean, it's not explicit in the Torah. This is just a derasha that we made. Interesting. I mean, it does seem like in the Hava Amina, we're, con- we're considering that derasha like, oh, look, it's really in the Torah. Right? It's a good question of uh, uh, the derashot in the rabbi's own minds. Was this like really what the Pasuk means? Or they're just adding a kind of mnemonic uh, to it in the question answer. At least it seems like they think that, no, the Torah's really in there. Okay, but anyway, in the answer, uh, the point is that, no, it has to present the problem and say, she is a problem. Okay, we can infer, incidentally, that this child from that union will be okay, but it still needs to say that for the mother. Okay, so we uh, took care of that tangent. All right, now that we brought up this pasuk regarding the Egyptians, Egyptian converts, let's look at each and every word and see what it teaches us. Here's the Pasuk again. It says, Banim, children. So first it says, Banim. So I know that's talking about sons, right? Uh, we discuss, is it sons or sons and daughters? Okay, either way, that's generations. But then it goes ahead and says, Another generation. So it seems redundant. Why do you have to say sons and also say the word Dor generations. Okay, so Barbaraita says, if you only said, if you said Banim, why need Dorot? If you said Dorot, why need Banim? Inemar Banim, Velonema Dorot, Hitiomed. Bendi Shon Vishini Asur, Shilishim Mutar, Lachachnema Dorot. If it only says Banim, Banim, Shirivadu Lahem, Shilishi Avolahem, Bikalashem. I would have thought it means that you have this couple, a man and woman who are Egyptian and they converted and then they marry. Good. Their first son, 
no good. Second son, invalid. The third son, they can marry. That's what it seems, right? Banim, the banim are no good, except for the third one. So you have to make, you have to say dor, so it's clear that, no, we're talking about generations, not just in a family, brothers. Good. And if it only says three, the third generation, and it didn't say uh, the children of, Banim, then I would have thought, what do you mean generation? Starting from when? Maybe starting from Har Sinai. Starting from now Har Sinai, you're not allowed to marry the next two generations of Egyptians. The third one, you can. I mean, this would make some logical sense. It's the Egyptians of that uh, uh, generation who were really evil and came and tried to destroy Bnei Israel. After a couple of generations, now it's new people. Like, you know, there were... Um, you know, uh, nobody worse than the Nazis. Nobody would want to buy German cars two generations ago. By now, we say, oh, it's their grandchildren. They're not, uh, they, uh, they, they've changed their ways. They've changed their education and uh, they don't hate Jews anymore. So many more people will buy uh, German cars now than they would have, for example. So there's some logical sense to say that after three generations, any Egyptians are considered the same as everyone else. Uh, so that's why it has to say banim. No, it has to do from the time. It has to do with when they're born. Uh, they, whenever they convert, then you have to wait two generations after that convert um, uh, converts their sons and uh, 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 children, and then grandchildren. Then it's permitted. That's when we start counting. Not from Har Sinai. All right, good. We resolve that now. Lahem mene mehem mene lahem halahalach achar pesulan. Back to the pasuk. Notice as banim asher yadu lahem toshi yavo lahem. It says the word lahem twice. Why does it do that? Number one, the first lahem says that you should count from them, meaning the generation that converts is considered one, and then you need and a second generation is also not allowed. By the third, the grandchild of the convert is already permitted. As opposed to, don't think that you counted that the convert is zero and their child is one, and then need two, three, you know, three after the convert. No, lahem, they're counted as one. And the second lahem teaches that uh, we should go, we, we should follow the disqualification. Uh, in other words, if you have a male Egyptian convert marries a Jewish woman, or a female Egyptian convert marries a Jewish man, so which one do we follow, the man or the woman? Halakha says you follow whichever one is disqualified. Uh, so whoever the, the, the convert is, um, you, the child will follow the, uh, the one who is the Egyptian convert and uh, not the Jewish, the fully Jewish, uh, born Jewish parent. Okay, that's the second lahem, uh, to best to be that both of them are kosher. If anyone is not, not valid, the child is also unfit to marry into the kahal. Now, Okay, furthermore, why do you need the words lahem? And also, notice, banim asher yivalidu. You could have skipped lahem. right? Or banim lahem, What do you mean? That will be born. And also, to them, um,
this is teaching us the same thing that we just uh, saw, that because if it said that shedi validu, that will be, give, uh, give birth to, I would have thought that you need three generations after the convert, right? The convert then says that only their great-grandchildren are okay. That's why it says lahem, that we do count the first generation. We already used this word to teach the very same thing. Uh, but now we're relating it not to the other lahem, but rather to the shedi validu. So again, that's why we need lahem. But the better question now is, so just put lahem. Uh, I would have thought that, let's say, an Egyptian who is pregnant, she converts while pregnant. I might have thought that since this person who is pregnant, she and her fetus converted, converted together, that that's only counted as one generation. And then there would be this baby who's now will, will be born after the conversion is counted as one. And you need uh, two more generations after the baby, um, which was uh, you know uh, the great-grandchild of the mother. Uh, so I might have thought that. So that's why it says, that are born, and it doesn't matter, as long as they're born after the conversion, even though they were already conceived before the conversion, we go by the time of birth, and therefore um, uh, that uh, baby, that, that uh, the child that's born, is considered now already a second generation, and their child would be permitted. That's why it says, go by the birth. Okay. Now we're bringing in the pasuk regarding says This word is extra. What do you mean law that he cannot come? Uh, why do I need lahem here and law regarding mamzer? So the law is coming to teach this very same rule. The one that we mentioned before from the second word, Lahem, uh, that we follow whoever is the Pasul one. Doesn't matter who the father or mother is, whether the father is Pasul, then the child is Pasul. If the mother is Pasul, the child also is Pasul. It's not matrilineal or matrilineal or patrilineal. When it comes to both of these issues uh, regarding uh, Egyptian convert from the first two generations, whatever that is, we follow the more pasul one. If it are, or if it's let's say an Egyptian convert from the first generation or second with a Jew, right? Then you're always going to follow the say the child is let's say from the first generation. Then is no good because now they're only second generation. We don't follow the Jewish born parent, but rather the Egyptian. Uh, convert parents. So too for, for mamzed. It doesn't matter if you have a, a, a either the mother or the father is a mamzed, the child is a mamzed. So we know that from the word law. Now the question is, why do we need to teach, a, teach us that in both cases? Can I derive one for the other? No, because if it only said it regarding mamzed, uh, no, regarding Egyptian, because it comes from an unfit, uh, unfit seed. The Egyptian is no good. They, even if they convert for a second generation, they themselves are unfit. So since it comes from unfit seed, it makes sense that we'll follow the, the child that's born will follow whoever is unfit, father or mother. But Mamzer, both their parents independently are kosher, are fit to marry. The problem is that they weren't permitted to each other. So I might say that in that case, since the, the mother and the father are both uh, fit, they're both kosher, so then we would follow only the father or only the mother. 
um, and not whoever is the mamzer, uh, or not whoever is the problem. So therefore, uh, it has to teach us that regarding mamzer. And if you only told me the law regarding mamzer, that we follow whichever parent is, is, a, is not fit, is a mamzer themselves, that's because mamzer goes on forever. But in cases of the Egyptian, where it's permitted at three generations and on, so this is more lenient. And I might say, no, I don't follow anyone who's pasul. Maybe it'll be, I only always follow the father or only always follow the mother. So therefore, I need to teach us this law in both cases. Okay, there we go. And that completes the analysis of the of this pasuk regarding the Egyptians. And now we get to a statement of Rabbi Yochanan, which is directly related um, uh, to what we just talk, uh, talk, spoke about, um, we just said that you follow whoever is more blemished. So let's see. First, Rabbi Yochanan is going to say patrilineal, um, uh, and uh, we begin here. Amar Rabba, Bar Bar Chana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Misri Sheni, Shenasa Misri Rishona. A male con- Egyptian convert is second generation. The, his wife is a first generation Egyptian convert. So now, what is the status of the child? Bena shelishi havai. So the, the the son goes after the father. The father was second generation. The son is third generation and therefore already permitted, even though his mother was only a first generation convert. So here, so you don't go by the one that's more pasul. Rather, Rather, we go after the father, not the mother. Good. That's a Biochanan's statement that was transmitted and then by the Bar Bar Hana. Now we're going to ask a couple of questions on it. Matib Rav Yosef, Rabbi Tarfon Omer Yecholin Mamzerini Taher Kesad. Bitafon says you can kosher a mamzer. It's very important, right? Because mamzer, otherwise, forever, all their children will be mamzerim. You know, what should they do? Maybe better not to have a child at all. Is there any way that a mamzer can have a kosher child? Yes. Here's what you do. Mamzer is allowed to marry a shivcha kena'anit. That's permitted. They're not kahal. So they get married. They have a child. Now the child's status is Evid is also a slave. All you have to do is free that child, and he is full, free Jew, and not a mamzer. The father's mamzer status goes away. Uh, so now from this case, we see that we follow the mother's status as a shivcha, not the father. Isn't that a challenge to the Biochanan who said patrilineal? No. Regarding a shivcha kena'anit, it says specifically when an Eved Ivri marries a shivcha kena'anit, then when he goes free after six years, the wife and the, the children stay with the master, meaning the children follow the wife. That's a special example that regarding maidservants, the children follow her. But that's an exceptional. The pasuk goes out of its way to tell you that. But otherwise, it uh, could very well be that we follow patrilineal descent for the for uh, unfitness. Okay, that's Rav Yosef's question. Next question, Mativ Rava. We already saw this story, but now we're bringing it in here as a basis of a question. That Rabbi Yudah reports that there was this guy, Minyamin, who was um, an Egyptian convert, 
and uh, a friend and also a student of a fellow student of Rabbi Akiva. And he had a plan, this Minyamin, of how he's going to get his kids kosher. I am first generation. I married another a woman who is also first generation Egyptian convert permitted we'll have a son and then my son will marry uh, I'll marry them off to a, a woman who is herself second generation Egyptian convert two and two will produce a third generation that's the end of the Baraita. Now we have a question. If we always go by the father, then why do you need to find a wife who's herself is second generation? Even if the their, this Minyamin's son marries a first generation convert, which is probably easier to find because you can just go take any con, any Egyptian uh, woman and convert them. And even that would still be fine because you go by the father. If in fact, they didn't say that. must be that you go by the mother. Challenge to Rabbi Yochanan. Yes, you're right. In fact, this Baraita, uh, the text of it is itself problematic. And Rabbi Yochanan taught told the, the professional memorizer, no, change it to Rishona, that the wife of the son can be, even be a first generation and will still be permitted. So that is in fact what Rabbi Yochanan thought, and he thought that that girsa is a wrong girsa. All right, good. That's all the first version of Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Babarchana. But now we have a second version. Ravdimi came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel and said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Misri Sheni Shenasa Misrit Rishona, a second generation Egyptian man who married um, a woman who is a first generation, Bena Sheni Havai, the child is only a second generation prohibited. In other words, we go by the mother. The mother was first, the child is second. And we don't care about the father because the father was second, the child would have been third. Alma batar imesh as we follow the mother. Okay, so now some discussion on this version. We're going to have a challenge to the Biochanan from a completely different case that doesn't seem to be related at all. We'll try to explain how it's related. Okay, here, here's the case. Hifrish Hatat, so remember, Rabbi uh, Yochanan here is following the mother. Um, now, Hifrish Hatat Meoberet Vialda. The case is where someone has a, an animal, they want to make a Hatat. And this animal uh, that they made a Hatat happened to be pregnant. Um, and, and it gave birth. Now, before, uh, in the meantime, after I designated it, it gave birth. So now I have the mother and the and the child both uh, sitting there. Which one should I use for a chatat? I can use either one, the, the mother or the child. Uh, I can pick one. Now, now, how could it make sense? How could you possibly use either the mother or the or the child, even though the child wasn't born? Oh, it would all make sense according to the opinion that says that ubad a fetus is not simply the a limb of its mother. In general, there's a big machloket about this that some say a fetus is just the just a uh, a limb of its mother. So, for example, if you did shechita on the mother. You could eat the fetus without doing shechita um, because it's just another limb. Like it has a liver, it has a heart, it has a leg. Here's just another part of it. You can treat it the same way as everything else. Um, uh, so if it's, it's uh, that's if it is 
if it is part of it. If it's not part of the mother, that means it's a separate entity. That would mean if you did shechita on the mother, in a regular case, not a korban, then you have to, then you have to see this fetus, you have to do shechita on the fetus also because it's an own entity. So if you say that the ubad is its own entity, then Rabbi Yochanan's halacha here makes sense because he said, I set aside this animal as a korban hatat. When he set it aside, He's setting aside really two animals, the mother and the fetus that's inside, which is its own entity. He set it aside also. And so, therefore, he has a choice. Because a person can, it's valid to uh, set aside two animals as a chatat, just as a guarantee. You never know, maybe one's going to get lost, maybe one will become damaged. I want to have one and a backup one. And Rabbi Yashayah says, yeah, if you have two animals right in front of you, two born live animals, so I want I, I bring both of them, one as, as just in case, so I can choose whichever one I want. And the second one, we leave it to graze until it gets a blemish, and then we redeem it. Um, uh, fine. So you can do that. And then that would make sense. So um, this statement of Rabbi Yochanan, that the limb the, that you can use, either the mother or the daughter, makes sense if you think that the fetus is its own entity. Um, uh, this is the problem. See, if the fetus is its own entity, uh, then it's harder to say we follow the mother. That's how we're going to connect it. Okay. But if you say that uh, the fetus is part of its mother, then this is a child of a hatat. In general, if you have a hatat offering, and then it gives birth afterwards, you cannot let it graze and then redeem it. You have to um, cause that uh, cause it more directly to die uh, because you can't use it for anything. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, on the ha- on the one hand holy, but you cannot make it as a, 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 a as a sin as a sin offering, and therefore you can't use it for anything. So if the if you just consider it like a child that's born. Um, and it's a part of the limb of its, it's, it's part of a limb of its mother, then you would not be able to choose the child. The child would not be sacrificial, sacrificable. Okay, so the point of all this is that um, we're connecting, it's a, this a tenuous connection, but nevertheless the Gemara is making this connection. If you would say that it is, uh, the fetus is a, a, a a limb of its mother, then it would make sense to have matrilineal descent because it's, it's part of its mother the whole time. But if it's separate, if the fetus is not a limb of its mother but a separate entity, then it doesn't make, does not make sense to say matrilineal descent. So this source here uh, regarding the chatat is a uh, contradiction to Rabbi Yochanan who said we follow matrilineal descent when re- regarding mitzrim. Okay, that's the question. Ishtik, Rav Dimi, who was the messenger, says, I don't know, it's a good question, I don't have an answer. Abaye, who asked the question, said, I'll, I'll tell you an answer. Maybe it's different regarding the Egyptian converse. Since it says that will be born, 
So it's all about the uh, birth. And therefore, the child of Egyptian convert is assigned to the mother because the mother is the one that gives birth to the child. And so, but the Pasuk is directly saying, yes, it follows the mother. And so even though, yes, regarding animals, the, uh, the animal is separate from its mother, but in this case, regarding Egyptian converts, it says, follow the mother, follow she who gave birth to the to this, to this one. Okay, so that would answer the question. Amalet Avdimi says, yes, you got it, you're right. He says, skull, meaning you have a, a, a great mind. Uh, I saw your head between the pillars of the study hall when Biochanan taught this very halacha. In other words, I know you weren't actually there, you live in Bavel, but you were able through your ingenuity uh, to uh, come up with the answer that Rabbi Yochanan himself said, you jogged my memory, and that fits perfectly the answer uh, correct. Okay, so um, now uh, we're going to draw an inference from that. So that means it's only here regarding Egyptian converts because it has the Pesuk goes out of its way to say that will be born. That's why we follow matrilineal descent. But in other cases, we'll follow the father. Is that true? Now remember, following the father is equal to the opinion that says that the fetus is a separate entity. Separate entity, that's why you follow the father. If you think it's part of the mother, then you follow the mother. That's how we understand these two opinions. So now, look what Ava says here regarding case of a woman who uh, it becomes pregnant and then converts while pregnant. She goes into the mikveh and converts while pregnant, and then she gives birth afterwards. What's the status of that child? And the answer is the child does not need to be allowed. The child is therefore born Jewish. Uh, you can, can call them a convert, right? But they don't have to do their own tevilah. Um, why? Uh, why doesn't it need tevilah? If you say that we follow the father. Follow the father means that the fetus is its own entity. It happens to be inside the mother, but it's really a separate life. It's its own thing. Uh, so the mother converted, but this uh, fetus was conceived when, uh, while not Jewish. So it's a non-Jewish fetus. It's its own entity, has its own ID card, and it never converted. Only the mother converted. You should have to convert the uh, fetus. So this is a fascinating uh, question. And so what are you gonna, how are you going to answer that? Oh, maybe we're following Rabbi Yitzchak. I can answer it that way. Because Rabbi Yitzchak says that in according to the Doraita law, um, we can consider the fetus as if it also, it could be a separate entity, and yet the dunking of the mother also works for the fetus because the fetus also dunked, right? The fetus was also inside the water. Now, even though it didn't touch any of the water because it's inside, uh, inside the mother's womb, uh, and it's a bihatsitsa, he says, don't worry about the chatsitsa. Even if you have a chatsitsa, if you have an interposition, um, and it covers most of the body, and you are particular about it. In other words, you don't want that to be there, right? Uh, you know, some kind of uh, paint on your hand or something uh, that you wish was not there, then that is an interposition. But even if it's on the majority of the body, and you don't care about it, it's something that you like to be there, 
right? You want it there. Uh, then it's not an interposition. Now go ask the fetus, would you like the womb to be around you? The fetus would say, yes, I love this womb around me. I would die without it. And so therefore we could say, even though it's covering most of it, it's not a chatzitzah because it wants to have the womb there. And therefore, even though the fetus is not touching the water, uh, it's still considered a, uh, it's still going to the mikveh itself. If you would say that, there, you can't say that. only gave that leniency if it's a majority of the body, a person's body. Person's covered the majority with something that he likes to be there. Okay, fine. That is still a good, uh, good. Um, they still they said they were meant to make there, but not fully enclosed. Even if they want, even if they don't mind it being there, uh, if they're fully enclosed in it, then it is an interposition. So we can't say that answer. Rather, But you know what? A fetus is different because that's it. That's its natural growth. That's its natural habitat. That's how it grows inside a womb, and so I couldn't live without it. And therefore, even though it's completely covered and none of it is actually touching the water, doesn't matter. We consider as if the womb, the the, the fetus, did itself uh, dunk in the mikveh, and therefore did convert. Uh, so, in other words, it's not because the mother converted and now it was born. And then that's why it's Jewish. No, it's because it is a separate entity, but as a separate entity, it went to the mikveh also, which would make a, diff- a big difference. Can a Kohen marry that this uh, child, right? Do we consider it, it the, the baby itself? Do we consider it a convert? According to this, yes, it is a convert. It went to the mikveh itself and therefore wouldn't be able to marry a Kohen. Next, we get to the third version of the statement of Rabbi Yochanan. So here is actually adding a different case altogether that regarding other nations, uh, if you have uh, one nation marries another and you want to know what is this lineage, you go after the, the go after the father. For example, one of the seven nations in Israel, the law is that when um, Bnei Sal came in, they had to uh, wipe them out. So what if in uh, one of those seven nations marries someone from a faraway nation that you don't have to wipe them out? Who's, uh, who does it follow? It'll follow the father. Uh, okay, but the next one is the uh, is parallel to the two statements we said before that if you have converts, two converts. Uh, or one convert and a Jewish, you should go after Pagum Shebishnehem, whichever one is more flawed in their lineage. And so, in other words, not father and not mother as the previous versions, but the more Pasul. Ba'umot Alecha Achad Hazachad. How does he know? What's the proof that for regarding uh, non Jews, not converts, we follow patrilineal descent? Kedetanya Minayn Lechad Bin Haumot Sheba Alekanadit Velid Ben. How do we know that a man from one of the foreign nations, not the seven, that comes and takes a Canaanite woman, one of the seven nations, who you cannot allow to live, um, that you are allowed to buy them as a slave. That means you don't have to kill them, but you can buy them as slaves. In other words, we follow that it's foreign father. 
שנאמר, וגם במדינת השבים, מגלים ממכם, מהם תקנו. פסוק says, even regarding the, those who are living amongst you, um, you can buy Evid uh, Ve'ama. Uh, so what do you mean that they're foreign? Because their father came from a faraway place and came and uh, impregnated a local Canaanite woman. We, we, we consider them foreigners, and therefore you can acquire them. And they don't fall under the genocide law. The Baraita continues, what about the other way around? If you have a Canaanite man that went, we always assume that the man travels and the women stay where they are. So if this Canaanite man travels to another country and uh, he goes and uh, has a child with a foreigner, we ask, can it be that we can uh, acquire some this person as an Eved? That's what Pasuk says, only if it's born in your land. In other words, if it's a foreign man who comes uh, to Kena'an, then you can leave them alive and acquire as a slave. But if it's a local man, one of the seven nations, who goes and uh, has a child with a foreign woman, then that goes by the father. And that person, that child, even will likely be born outside because the man travels. Even if that uh, child should one day, uh, should that child one day come and move to Israel. So that's Noladim, uh, Garim. That would be Garim Be'artzechem. So only one who uh, is, is born in the land, that person you can allow to live and acquire them as a slave because their father must be from outside the land. But if their father is from in the land and had a child with, with a woman outside the land and then came to uh, just visit as, a, as an immigrant, then you cannot allow them to live the genocide law applies to them because their father was with from within from one of the seven nations. So you see from here that uh, identity for uh, non-Jews follows the father. But a second statement was regarding converts, we go by the one that's more flawed. What case is it talking about? If it's an Egyptian, let's say male, who for the first generations is prohibited, who marries a female Ammonite, well, she is perfectly legal immediately. So that wouldn't be a flaw that you would have to say, oh, the more flawed of them. <clears throat> Rather, after all, Amoni Veloma Amonit, right? Because she is perfectly good. It only applies to males, not to females. Rather, think about the other way around. Amoni, he's prohibited forever, uh, such a convert. He's prohibited to marry into the regular Kahal, but he can marry someone else who has a convert or a similar situation, uh, who marries a Misrit. A woman who, in the first generation, two generations also, is uh, prohibited. So there we have, they're both pagum in some way. So, In that case, it would actually make a difference if they have a son. So then the son would go follow the Amoni, because that's the more pagum. Amoni males are 
prohibited forever. And so you would consider the child Ammoni and prohibited even his descendants forever. But if it's a girl, then we follow the Mitzrit because if it, the girl, if you follow the Ammoni, she would be permitted immediately. And so that's less Pagum. Instead, we follow the Mitzrit so that she has to wait until the third generation to be permitted. And that would be the more Pagum in that case. All right, next Mishnah. Mamzerim, Neunetinim Asurim, Bisuran, Isur Olam, Echad Zecherim, Echad Nekebot. Mamzerim, Pasuk says, right, is prohibited forever. Natin are the, uh, the people from Givon who tricked Yoshua and told them we're from a faraway place, even though they're actually local and they were, they had to be uh, killed. Instead, they, uh, Yoshua agreed to convert them. So they, they're converts under false pretenses. We're going to see that the prohibition for them to marry is actually a derabanan that was started by David HaMelech. We'll see the beginning of the story today. So they are forever and it applies to men and uh, males and females. HaMelech Shakish, Mamzeret, Le'achad Asaradu, Dorot Muteret, Yalif Asiri, Asiri, Me'amoni Umoavi, Malala Nekevot Mutarot, Afkan Nekevot Mutarot. Very interesting um, Opinion of Reshakish that says female mamzeret is permitted after ten generations, and we learn that from the word asiri and asiri that apply that appears both regarding mamzer and regarding amoni and moavi, and just like regarding amoni and moavi, uh, they're more were more lenient regarding the kevot. So to here we're more lenient regarding the kevot. I'll show you the pesukim. Uh, here it says loy mamzer bekal Hashem gam dor asiri loy avol lo bekal Hashem. So you have asiri. Amoni also says dor gam dor asiri loy avol lahem bekal Hashem ad olam. Now when it says ten generations, you see amoni and moavi doesn't mean literally. Ten generations, and afterwards will be permitted because, after all, it says Adolam. So here, Asiri is just an expression. It said even ten generations, and even more if you were able to keep a family tree that long, it would actually be forever. So without Reshakish, we make a regular Gezer Shavat. That was the Mishnah that says Mamzer is forever. How do you know? It says ten generations. Maybe it should be permitted. No, Asiri, Asiri. We make a Kavachot. We make a Gezer Shavat, just like this is forever. So too, Mamzed is forever. So that's step one that everyone agrees with. Reshakish, however, is saying, hold on, now that you opened up the channel for a Gezer HaShava, then I'm going to say, just like in Amoni Amoavi, it only applies to males and not to females, I'm going to apply that leniency to Mamzed also and say that a Mamzed, eh, for males, we say Asiri, Asiri, Adolam. But for females, only 10 generations. Afterwards, the females are okay. That's a shakish. Okay, uh, we ask, Hold on, if you're learning from Amonia uh, Moavi uh, to Mamzer, then you should say immediately the females are permitted because Amonia Moavi is, is immediate. So Mamzeret also should be immediate. We say no. No, the Gezerah Shava only works from 10 on. It was just a two-step process. First we say, Asiri, Asiri, that means forever. But then we say, oh, that, for, that uh, uh, forever is only for males. For females, we will derive a second uh, step from the Gezerah Shava and say it applies to males forever. Uh, females will derive the permission, the leniency, but that leniency is only going to be after 10, ten generations. All right, that's Reshakish. Now we ask Cardinal Shakish's opinion. Our Mishnah said it's prohibited forever. 
How could you say that females are per- permitted after ten? Echad zicharim, echad nekavot. The Mishnah says, La kasha hakeman damar don mina umina. It's not a problem. There's a general. There's a machloket tanaim about how gezerot shavot work. One opinion says when you have a gezerah shavah, you can learn it again and again. That Rishakish is following that Tana. That first we learn that males are prohibited forever, and then we learn oh, uh, leniency. Women are less, are more lenient. How much more lenient? Oh, the ten, after tender generations is permitted. That Rishakish is following that opinion. Ha Whereas our Mishnah as following the other Tanah that says, when we open a, open up a Gezerah Shavah, we learn, it, we learn from it and we leave it in its place. That's it. We only learn one thing and then we stop. We close it up. So what are we learning? Oh, even 10 generations means Ad Olam. And that's it. That applies to men and, male, men and, and women. And uh, we do not learn anything further regarding a leniency for women. So now that we saw two opinions, uh, there's, uh, students came and asked to be Eliezer, what do you think about female mamzirim after 10 generations? He says, I'll do one better. Bring me a third generation mamzer and I will permit that. I will permit it. Sounds like it's saying male or female. Now this is surprising. What is he talking about? Alma kasavar mamzera la mamzera la Oh, you know why he says I will permit it? Because it can't exist. Uh, there's a um, uh, there's a rule that he agrees with that says mamzerim do not survive. They will die some unnatural death somehow or another and will not survive after, uh, into the next generation. So therefore, there is no such thing as a third generation mamzer. If you bring me one here, I'll say they're, they're mutad, because obviously they're not a mamzer, because if they were mamzer, they would have already died. Um, okay, so now we ask, is that, is that true? Olam. Uh, it says here that they're permitted forever, which means that it is possible for them to live. If mamzerim don't live, if they all have heart attacks or you know get hit by uh, uh, by trucks, then uh, then there would no be no mamzerim. We wouldn't have to say a law that they're prohibited forever. I got the explanation from Rav Yehuda. Those, he says, there's different categories. Those who are known to be mamzerim. Everyone knows this kid, the parents were for incest. And so that, per, that one will live. It's a paradox. Why will they live? Uh, they'll live because everyone knows about it and therefore will keep away and know not to marry that person. So they can live, no problem, and continue generations and everybody will know this uh, this line, this family, Mamzerim. If it's not known, if a woman uh, committed, a married woman, committed adultery and had a child and it's not known, no one knows about it. She's the only one that knows. Um, maybe even she is not sure. Uh, so, it will not live. See, this is helpful because 
Otherwise, if you don't have a rule like this, you always have to worry. Who knows? How, how, every, everyone, anyone can be a Sefek Mamzer. Who can establish for sure that their parents and grandparents uh, forever never had, never had any problems? So the answer is you don't have to worry because we have an assumption here. Uh, if there was a Mamzer and no, no, no one knows about it, they won't survive anyway. Okay, if it's known and not known, meaning uh, it's a rumor, maybe a few people know about it, most people don't know about it, they're not actually sure, then it will last. They, they can have children up to three generations, but not anymore. And so this goes back and explains, so he says, show me someone who's a third generation Mamzer, and I'll say they're Tahor, because either uh, either it's not known or somewhat known, in which case they won't survive, or it's known. In that case, he's not talking about, because that would be uh, known for sure. Um, okay, so therefore he's saying, I don't have to answer your question. Uh, it's not, it doesn't exactly line up, because here it sounds like, uh, from here it sounds like they, none of them could exist. But in order to reconcile with our Mishnah, we say, no, it could be, it must be someone exists if it's known, but otherwise not, but not if it's not known. One time there was some guy who lived in the neighborhood of Rabbi Ameh. Rabbi Ameh said, oh, this person I, I declare publicly as a Mamzer. I know about what happened uh, with his parents, Mamzer. So the kid, Bachev Azili, was crying and crying because... Before that, uh, nobody knew. Maybe he didn't even know. He was totally kosher. He could marry anybody. Now, he's going to be ostracized. Terrible life. cheers him up and says, No, I gave you life. Because no one knew you were a mamzer before. Therefore, you would have died young and not have not had children. Um, uh, whereas now, um, now that everyone knows, you fit into the other category. So, yes, you'll have a hard life, but at least you'll live. So the Netinim, who converted under false pretenses, so they are valid converts, but they can't marry. That's a Gezerah de Rabbanan that David HaMelech made. What is the story there? Let's look at the, those Pesukim. And Shemuel Bet Kaf Aleph, then there was a a uh, famine in, in, in the t- days of David for three years, um, and and then after that, uh, after um, uh, for three years, and after that, uh, David prayed to Hashem, and so what's going on? And Hashem said, <coughs> because of Shaul and because of Bet Hadamim, Hagivonim. So Shaul, it sounds like two things here. The Gemara will explain why it sounds like two things. It's because of something Shaul did, which is that. He committed the bloodshed in which he killed Givonim. All right, well, we'll explain what story that is that when Shaul killed Givonim. Anyway, so King David called the Givonim and told them. Now, it doesn't say what he told them. Then we start a parenthesis. By the way, by the way, the Gibonim are not actually from Israelite ancestry, but rather Ammonim, and they tricked with an oath. Okay, and then it, now it resumes. Now, what did David say? See, please tell me what I could do for you. How can we make it up to you? Because we have this famine because of this wrong that was done to you. So tell us how we could make it up so the famine will stop. 
Okay, uh, now this we read as parentheses, but the Midrash is reading it as something he saw, he told them. He called them up and, and said, Listen, you give on him, we are not considering you part of B'nai Israel. We are not allowed to marry you. So that's the source. Good. Okay, my Now, why? Why did David make a gezerah not to marry the uh, niznitnitinim, as the Gemara calls them? Dichtiva hira abime David shaloshanim shana achar shana. Because we, as we just said, there was a famine for three years. Now, for those three years, David said, "Oh, it must be because of the give onim." So he went and, and asked them some questions, investigated. He says, oh, look, maybe it's your fault because among you, even though you converted, it was fake conversion, maybe you're still idolaters. There's idolatry among you, and you're the reason why there's a famine. As the Torah says in Shema, that if you have idolatry, Hashem will stop the rain, and then there will be famine. So it might be, must be that there's some, some idolatry uh, within you. You know what? We're not going to marry you and we're going to examine. But they examined for a year. They didn't find any idolaters among the Givonim. So next year, he said, maybe something else we missed. Maybe there's some uh, uh, people transgressing Adayot. Among among you. says, you know why the rain is going to be withheld? Because you had a forehead like a zona. You were obstinate and, and you were not even ashamed when you sinned and you did all kinds of uh, incestual uh, sins. And that's why the rain is stopping. It's your fault. Let's check it out. They examined. They didn't find that the give only were doing those sins either. So Shilishit, it's explaining why three years. So he says, maybe there are people who pledge money to Sedaqah in public. They go and get up an Aliyah. They say, I'm going to give $1,000 to, to uh, the poor. And then they don't pay up. And that's as serious as the other two because the Pasuk in Mishle says, just like vapor and wind without rain, meaning why does rain not come? Someone who boasts a false gift. That's another reason why rain wouldn't come. And uh, uh, this is a nice derasha. I'll encourage everyone to pay their uh, synagogue bills. Uh, so he said, maybe that's why rain's not coming and it's your fault. But they investigated. David investigated. He found the Givonim were not responsible for that either. So he said, "Oh, I guess I was I was blaming the Givonim the whole time for the rain not coming. I guess it's not their fault." Ahmad and the you know, must be something that I d- did or didn't do. I have to fix this myself. So that's why he prayed. After blaming someone else, he realized he needs to pray and introspect. Now, how did David pray to Hashem? It means he asked the Urim Vetumim. That was his uh, uh, that was his method for divination. How do you know that means that? Uh, so it says when he went to, to the presence of God, the face of God, it also says that in the description of the Urim uh, Vetumim that uh, the Kohanim would inquire 
Pene Hashem. So that's how you know that he used Urim Vetumim. Okay, good. Ve'omer Hashem. And what Hashem answer? El Shaul. Ve'el Betadamim. Al Hashem Emita Givonim. So notice it meant it sounds like it's two things. God said you're you're guilty because of Shaul and because of the bloodshed that was done by the Givonim. So what does that mean? El Shaul Shuloni Spad Kalacha. On the one hand, you did not eulogize. Shaul properly. That's one reason you're being your reason you're being punished. And two is because uh, he Shaul uh, put to death the Givonim. So it's kind of uh, two opposites. In other ones, you didn't eulogize him properly, but also he did terrible things that were not uh, that were not um, uh, uh, recompensed. Okay. He didn't directly kill Givonim. When Shaul was running after David and they got to Nov, the city of Kohanim, and Nov unknowingly helped out David. They knew he was David, but they thought he was on a royal mission. And they helped out David. And then Shaul got angry. And then Doeg uh, Hadomi, who was in the previous part of this, uh, of, uh, in the previous Agadah, he went and killed all of the Kohanim. Now, who was giving uh, food and water to the Kohanim? It was the Givonim. That was their job. Yoshua said, because you tricked us, you're going to be Shuave Maim. You're going to have to bring us uh, food, uh, 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 wood, and wood uh, choppers and water drawers. So now that there's the, their customer base is gone because the Shaul caused the whole city of Kohanim to die, and uh, and they were Givonim were providing, and then the Kohanim would pay the Givonim for their services, and now they have no one to service, and now they don't have a, uh, the Givonim, don't have a means of living. It's as if, uh, it's as if Shaul killed them. So it's quite indirect, but you learn another important lesson here, that taking away a person's livelihood, even if you're just taking away their customers for some other reason, uh, is, uh, uh, is tantamount to killing them. Okay. Now that we know that what David was responsible for, we wonder, on the one hand, David is being punished for not eulogizing Shaul, and also to, because he has to bring get retribution upon Shaul for what he did bad. That sounds like opposite things. Is that possible? In yes, it is. Damar Shakish, my dichti bakeshuat Adonai kol anve aritz. Asher mishpato paalu, baasher mishpato sham paalo paalo. So what the pasuk in Sefanya says: Seek at Hashem, humble of earth. Those had have executed His justice. So you see, back to back, it talks about uh, those who have uh, 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 talks about justice and also palu deeds that they did so both good deeds and justice are put together because whenever we're going to meet um, meet out justice you should also mention the good deeds you always always mention the bad with the good whenever you're criticizing someone also mention the good things that they do and so to even shaul although he did some terrible thing here and uh, killed novi Kohanim and therefore um, indirectly killed the give onim, and this was a bad thing. Nevertheless, he's not all bad. Also, it's appropriate to mention his good deeds, and David did not eulogize him properly. And we'll see the continuation of this fantastic agada on the next stuff.